Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, today I want to continue talking to you about empowering your inner man. It was Smith Wigglesworth who said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. And because the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 that you are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your body, we hope it does not become even twice as big as it is right now. All right? Now, your, your soul or your mind, you know, it can develop, it can grow. But really, the part of you, the most important part, it's your spirit, right? It's the inner man, the real person that you are. And the, the potential for growth is unlimited in your spirit. Now, somebody says, are we going to, you know, you're going to do a little review again? I always do. All right, and here's why. Because faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. A lot of people think, well, I've heard that. Well, big deal, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing, right? You need, we need to keep on hearing spiritual truth, right? So what your body is, is your body is your earth suit. Take good care of it. You know, if you're, a space, if you're an astronaut, you need a space suit. If you don't have a space suit, you cannot go to outer space. You are a human being and you have a earth suit. And as long as you take care of it, your body, you can stay on earth, right? But once your earth suit wears out, you have to leave. Right? When it dies, you have to leave. Nobody sticks around to haunt a house. Right? It's appointed for a man to die how many times? Once. And after that, the judgment. All right? So it's in Galatians 5, in verse 16, that it says to walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Living Bible, says when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person on the inside. When you become a Christian, you become a brand new person where? On the inside, in your spirit. So listen, you say, I'm a Christian. You are, but your body is a heathen. Understand that? Your body is not a, you, you, you're not, you don't like, I'm a Christian, so my body is a Christian. No, your body is not a Christian. Your body will not be a Christian until Jesus comes back. Right? When he comes back, then... Right? Corruption will put on incorruption. Mortality will put on immortality. Your body gets saved when Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, your spirit's saved. And your spirit needs to take dominion over your body. That's when the Bible says walk in the spirit. It's saying let your spirit dominate the rest of yourself, your body and your soul. So we've noticed, first of all, that you grow strong spiritually by feeding your spirit the word of God. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. Secondly, by obeying the Holy Spirit. Every time you obey the Holy Spirit, you become stronger spiritually. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So when God speaks to you, he speaks to your spirit. Not your head, not your body. God speaks to your spirit. Sometimes we refer to your spirit as your heart, that core part of your being. Now, in Acts chapter 16, there, there is some direct, there, there's some verses here that deal with being spirit-led. And I want to look at them for just a moment because this is something we have not talked about. All right? Now, it says in Acts 16 in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia. Now, I, I don't know how many of you have read the Old Testament and the New Testament. How many of you know a lot of those names are really hard to pronounce? All right. uh, the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody, this is what he would do. He would, he would read the verse up to the hard name and then he would stop. And he would preach for a minute and then he would continue after the hard name. 
Now, I've been thinking about doing that, all right? I thought that was just a really great strategy that he had. But, but they had gone through, through Phrygia. They came to the, really, really, the region of Galata and were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, most of the time when the Holy Spirit forbids you, the way that he does this, listen, is through taking your peace away. Right? You won't have peace about something. And that's the spirit forbidding it, all right? The Bible, again, says, let the peace of God be the umpire in making all of your decisions, all right? And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to, to go to Bithynia, but the spirit did not permit them. The spirit did not permit them, all right? So what happens next? So having passed by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach in Macedonia. Now, I want you to notice that what these guys are doing is they're trying to go to Asia. They're trying to go to Bithynia. And as they're trying to go in different places, God is letting them know this is not the way to go. This is not the way to go. This is not the way to go. And ultimately, God gives them a supernatural direction to get them where they need to go. Most Christians are doing the exact opposite of what the apostles did. The apostles were moving, all right? They're saying, we're going to go here. No, God said, not go over there. They're trying to go over here. The Spirit of God didn't permit them, all right? They're moving, and then God gets them where he wants them to go, all right? Really, being led by the Spirit is a lot like riding a bicycle, all right? I've got one right here. So let me take a ride. Now, as long as the bicycle is moving, I can get it to go where I want it to go. Now, and as long as you're moving, doing something, God will get you where he wants you to be. But so often what we're doing, we're just sitting there and we're waiting for God to get us where he wants us to go, but we're not moving. Now, when the bicycle's moving, I can steer it. When you're moving, God can steer you, right? But once you sit still and you're not doing anything, it is really, really hard to get the bike to do what you want it to do when you're not moving. I'll get it here. Now, it just doesn't work, right? But when you get moving... Now, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 12 in the translator's New Testament. It says, keep yourself spiritually alive, binding yourself to the Lord in service. When you start doing something, first thing that's going to happen is it will will literally cause you to become alive spiritually, right? But also it enables God to get you where he wants you to go. People say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, just do something. Start moving, all right? And what will happen is God will get you where he wants you to go if you'll be moving. But if you're still and just sitting there waiting, you're never going to get where God wants you to be because you cannot steer a bicycle when it's still, right? Here's what we do. We think we're at a red light and we're waiting for God to show us something. But the truth is you have a green light. You are at a green light. In other words, go. Do something. And when you go, God will steer you 
and God will get you where he wants you to be. But don't think you can just be still and end up in the will of God. When Jeannie and I graduated from Bible college, we didn't really have any like direction, but we wanted to reach people. And we figured, well, there's a lot of pastors in America, so let's go someplace else. We didn't have a lot of money and Mexico was close, so we went. That was the extent of our supernatural direction. We didn't have a lot of money, so let's go close. We can get there. We got enough to get there. Now, once we got there, God moved us and got us where he wanted us to be. Again, a lot of times people say, well, I just don't know what to do. I really believe this. I believe for at least five years, it doesn't matter what you do. You're just getting trained anyway. And God's just going to get you where he wants you to be. Now, I want you to notice the phrase, but the spirit did not permit them. Sometimes God's spirit just won't let you do something. You're trying to do it. You might even think it's the devil stopping you, but it's not the devil stopping you. It's the Lord stopping you. When Jeannie and I were living in Mexico after seven years, we were were about to leave, come up here, begin to pastoring this church after a few months. Probably six weeks, maybe two months beforehand. um, I'm praying. Now, the year before, we'd gotten a little piece of property out in Ellendale. And we had contacted a builder and talked with the builder. And he was going to build us a little starter house. Well, actually, he was going to frame it in and then we were going to build it. All right. But we had signed a contract and I needed to pay him when we got up here to start building that house. Right. Now, 40% of our net worth was in Jeannie's car. And the plan was we're going to sell her car and then give him the money and he'll build the house. Right? That's our plan. But as I'm just praying, seeking the Lord, studying, I get this impression. I get this, this thing that kind of bubbles up out of my spirit. And, and, and what is the candle of the Lord? The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. But just kind of like out of my heart, this, this thought keeps bubbling up like, you need to give Jeannie's car to Pastor Chewy and Vicky. Now, we're helping Pastor and Chewy and Vicki start a church. The church is going really well. We taught them in Bible college. In fact, his whole family got saved in our church. And then we taught them in Bible college, and now we're helping them start a church. And Chewy and Vicki, there's probably like 300, 350 people in the church, and they don't have a car. They take a bus every place they go, right? And, and this thought just comes up like, give them the car. And I immediately knew that was the devil. <laughs> All right? Because I needed that money. How many of you know when, when there's money you need and there's optional? Right? I know. You, you, you Don't hold this against me, but I'm Dutch. Right? And when you're Dutch, they do not let you out of the crib until you know how to balance a checkbook. Right? I mean, like, you, the, 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 you are taught. You, know, you, you don't make commitments. You can't pay. You got to, you know. All right? And so, so I'm, re, I'm like, I resist you, Satan, in Jesus' name. All right? But it does not go away. And over the next couple of weeks, it gets stronger. All right? So I very carefully explained to Jesus why we could not do this. Because we, this wasn't optional money. You understand that? This was, we have to have money. All right? So I explained to him that we could not do that. And he just needed to understand math a little bit better. And in economics, you know, 
I'm sure you're good at macroeconomics, but the microeconomics, you need some help. Here, let me show you. you know, so I showed him that we could not. All right. And you say, well, what did you do? He did not change his mind. But I didn't either. So I put an ad in the paper right, to sell my car, Regini's car, our car. Right? Now, there were a couple of people who had said to us, you know, if you ever get rid of that car, call us. We'd like to buy that car. Well, we, we talked to them and they were all like, oh, it's just a bad time. We can't do it. So we put the ad in the paper. You know how many people responded to that ad? So I lowered the price. And you know how many people responded? It was like our car had the plague. Nobody would even look at our car. It was just crazy. So now like a month, five, maybe even five or six weeks, but time has gone by. And I'm preaching, we're just a couple weeks before we're going to leave. And I'm preaching for Chewy Thursday night. So I get there early like I always do. And I'm walking in front of the, the podium and I'm laying hands on the chairs and I'm praying and, and I'm telling the Lord, Lord, we're going to preach on this tonight. And Lord, we need your anointing tonight. God, I pray you open hearts. And you, you know, when you pray, you talk to the Lord and then you're quiet and listen. And when I was quiet to listen, these, these words just kind of came bubbling. And the car. And I told the Lord, we aren't talking about the car. We're talking about church service, not the car. But he didn't listen. So, so I said, Lord, you know, we're going to have an altar call. And, and I pray for you to convict people. Lord, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. I pray every lost person is going to get saved today. And, and I'm quiet. And I thought the Lord might talk to me about, you know, how to give the altar call. And, and the, the, the Lord said, the car. So I said, Lord, we're going to pray for the sick. And I pray, your word says, you know, we're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. I pray, Father, for your healing power to be here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you touch bodies. I pray, Lord, that you do miracles and signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, that we can preach your word with all boldness. And I'm quiet. And you know what he said? The car. So literally, this is what I thought. I thought, this is going to be the worst service I've ever been in in my life. Nobody's going to get healed. Nobody's going to get saved. And the sermon's going to be a flop. Because how many of you know without God, it's a flop. It's just a flop every time. So I'm like, God, you have me cornered. What do I do? I remember as clear as a bell going, okay. I was not even happy about it. Okay. I'll do it. When the service is over, I'll tell him. We had a really good service. It was really great. All right. And then this, this, is, this, is, this is true universally in the church. It doesn't, I'm telling you, this is true in Africa, South America, Asia, Europe, every place that you preach. This is how it works. You preach and then you eat. Now, that's what they, they always take you out to eat. And sure enough, we get done with service. Chewy comes over and says, hey, he says, you know, great service. Hey, let's go out and have tacos. And I said, sure. And so we're walking out of the, the service out of the building, we're walking down the sidewalk. And I said to Chewy, I said, hey, Chewy, I says, uh, you know Jeannie's car? And he said, you mean the blue one with the shiny wheels? And I said, yeah, that's, that, that's the one. I said, Chewy, we're going to be leaving Mexico in a couple weeks. And when we leave, we're going to give that car to you and Vicky. This, honest, this is what he did. He stopped right there on the sidewalk. Hallelujah, glory, thank you, Jesus. Listen, and he turns to me and he said, 
I've known that for about a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me read that verse again. <laughs> but the Spirit did not permit them. All right? Literally, God did not permit us. All right? And sometimes we think that it's the devil stopping us. But really, it's the Lord who's not permitting us to get outside of his will. Now, here's what I thought was the craziest thing, right? We got up here a month later, and to this day, neither of us know how this all happened, but we had the money. We had the money, and then some. I really believe that there are times when God ask you to do something and if you will do it he will bless you and he will literally take you from one level to another level of blessing and you'll just stay there you just need to be obedient when God speaks to you all right now the most unpopular subject in the church in America in the 21st century right that's why I gave the other first because I thought it'd be more popular all right. Here, here's, here's what we're going to talk about. You, if you've got a Bible or a pad, phone, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. The Apostle Paul is writing. Remember, this is Paul. He wrote almost half of your New Testament. He had a vision of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12 says that he went to heaven, saw things he couldn't talk about, and came back. And he said... But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. At least when I preach to others, I myself could become disqualified or become a castaway. Now, notice he said, I discipline my body. The I is the real you, the spirit. And he says, I discipline my body and I bring it. Everybody say it. All right. Your body is not you. Your body is it. All right. Your body is the it, the house that you live in, all right? But your body is not a Christian. Your body is a heathen body, all right? And if you listen to your body, your body will get you into all kinds of trouble. How many know what I'm talking about, all right? So what Paul says, he says, I am not letting my body dominate my life. He said, I discipline it. I bring it into subjection. Now think about this. Paul wrote half the New Testament vision of Jesus, been to heaven and back, and he had problems with his body. David was God's best man. He had problems with his body. Solomon was God's strongest man. He had problems with his body, right? Solomon, did I say Solomon? Samson was God's strongest man, problems with his body. Solomon, God's wisest man, had problems with his body. Now, my simple question is, how many of you think that you might, just maybe, have some problems with yours? Yeah. Yep. So what do we need to do? We need to do what Paul said. We need to discipline our body. Bring it into subjection so that your spirit, the real you, is running your life, has dominion over your body and over your soul. He's saying, I'm not going to let anything dominate me. Not entertainment, not caffeine, not cigarettes. Not, I'm not going to let anything dominate me. Now, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are with him. And they're coming down from the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met Jesus. 
Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, teacher, I implore you, look at my son. For he's my only child and behold, a spirit seizes him. And suddenly cries out, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, and this is really important what Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. We're going to come back to, that, back to that in just a moment. How long will I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And when he was still coming, the demon threw him down and he convulsed him. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child and gave him back to his father. They were all amazed at the majesty of God. Now Mark says afterwards, the disciples come to Jesus in the house privately and they say to Jesus, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. This kind does not come out. Now in the original language, the verb action there is saying this, not that you fast one time, but that you fast again and again and again. It's not just praying and fasting once, but it is literally a continuous action. In other words, you do it one week, the next 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 week, right? But it's not just a one-time thing, right? Now, notice what Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation. Now, Jesus used faithless to describe this, that they are disconnected from God. And when he's using the word perverse, what he's saying is, you are connected to this world. He said, you're disconnected from God and you're connected to the world, right? You've got the world's morals, the, more, the world's views, the world's morality, right? You're thinking like the world. You're participating in the things in the world that aren't right. He said, you're connected to the world. He called them perverse, but he called them faceless because they weren't connected to God the way that they needed to be connected. Now, listen, Jesus' answer to this is prayer and fasting prayer and fasting, right? Why? Because what prayer and fasting does is it connects you to God, first of all, right? When, when you tell your body no, right, what happens is your spirit is taking dominion. It's bringing into subjection your body, it. And what happens is your spirit rises up to this place of dominion and ascendancy over your body, right? And what happens is you literally, you connect with God, right? And at the same time, when you fast, what are you doing? You're telling your body, your body, no, your body, by the way, your body talks to you. Did you know that? If you don't think it talks to you, I dare you. Tomorrow, don't eat. All right? I, by, 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 by noon, it's going to say, it's going to be saying, it's going to be saying to you, hey, take me, take me to Outbacks for a steak. And if you say no, Listen. In a half hour, it'll say, let's just go to McDonald's for a burger. And if you say no to that, it'll go, well, uh, Starbucks, just give me a Starbucks latte. All right? Your body will be talking to you. All right? But when your spirit takes dominion over your body and disciplines your body and says no, right, your spirit rises up. It rises up to a place of authority and ascendancy. All right? And it begins to connect with God in a greater way so that you're not faithless, but faith filled. I like to say it like this. What fasting does is fasting 
increases the strength of your no muscle. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this. It says, having been taken captive by Satan to do his will. Taken captive by Satan to do his will. Now, when a person is doing Satan's will, it's because their will is passive. That no that should be rising up out of your spirit, it's not there. You're passive. And when you become passive, you become a victim of the devil. You are taken captive by him. You're not doing your will. You're not doing God's will. You're doing the devil's will. But when you're, you, you, you take dominion, your spirit takes dominion. When you fast and you say no to food, your spirit rises up. And it's like that, that no muscle is just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. All right. Now, let, let me give you an example here. If, if, if I went out today and I ran 100 miles, how many of you know that would not be good? I might, I might not be here next week. All right. But if I went out and ran five today and five the next day and five the next day and five the next day, how many of you know that's good? All right. And, and when it comes to fasting, when the Bible, when Jesus said, that this time does not come out except by prayer and fasting and using a verb that says that it's just not a one-time thing, but it is something that you do again and again and again, all right? Here's what we're asking you to do, to consider do this in, in your personal life, right? Now, in the past, we've done a 21-day Daniel fast as a church, and there's some of us that we're going to be doing Daniel fast in January, but this is what we're going to ask the church to do this time, right? We're going to change that up, all right? We're going to ask you to put fasting in your lifestyle, right? Where, whether you do a meal every week or you take a day every week or a day every month, but what Jesus told us to do when it comes to fasting and prayer is he told us to not just do this one time. And what we've seen happen is people fast in January and then they've quit the rest of the year, right? But what Jesus said we need to do is we need to keep on. We need, it needs to be a part of our lifestyle, all right? Now, here's, here's what most Christians don't know, all right? That that is literally how the church operated literally for centuries, all right? I, I've got uh, one of the bishops of the church from the fourth century. This is what he says. He says, who does not know that the fast of the fourth and sixth days of the week are observed by Christians throughout the world? For, for 1,500 years, right, 1,500 years, Christians fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. Did you know that? That was, that was the norm for Christians. In fact, even uh, as the Methodist denomination was beginning when John Wesley was, was still alive, if you wanted to become a Methodist pastor, you had to sign a covenant that you would fast every Wednesday and every Friday. If you did not sign the covenant, you could not become a pastor. Right? You couldn't be a spiritual leader unless you fasted. Right? Now, some of you come from a religious background where you saw the end of this. Right? Because what happened, first of all, the Wednesday fast died. And then the Friday fast started to slow down. And it, what, what happened was finally it just got to the point where you couldn't eat red meat on Friday and you could just eat fish. How many remember that? Lots of us. Lots of us. All right? And that was really, during the 20th century, the last of normal Christian fasting died out. 
with the end of on, on Friday where people just begin to eat everything. Right? Now, a fast can be a partial fast where you're just not eating certain foods. It can be a total fast where you're just drinking water. But what we would, what I want to encourage you to do this. All right? Choose a day. Choose a meal every week. Choose something. All right? And begin to give that time to prayer and fasting. All right? What's going to happen? What you're going to do is you're going to disconnect from the world. And you're going to begin to connect in a greater way with God. Instead of being faithless, you become faith-filled. Instead of becoming perverse, you become an extension of the kingdom of God. With God's morals, God's values, God's ideals for, for, you, for your life, for your family, for our society. Um, really, fasting and prayer is kind of like that, that uh, moving sidewalk you see in some big airports. How many have seen those things? All right. Now, when Jeannie and I, when, when, when we travel together, you know, and sometimes you got to walk a long way. There'll be these moving sidewalks in the airport. I always get on it. Jeannie never does. She always wants to walk on the side. All right. So Jeannie's over there. She's trying to go like this. I'm just going to. Right. It just gets you where you're going faster. Right. That's what fasting does. Right. It gets you there faster. Again, Jesus said faithless and perverse generation. Right. Faithless. Because we're not connected to God the way we should be. And fasting helps you connect with God. Because your spirit rises up. You discipline your body. And you connect with God. And literally, spiritual things become more real, become more alive, and become more available. Right? And at the same time, when we're saying no to the things of the world, we're cut off from our society. And how, how many of you realize when Jesus said that that society was perverse, he, he just, this one's even more perverse. It really is. And when we disconnect from the things of this world, right, and the kingdom of God literally becomes more real to us on the inside and we connect with God, right, we get on that moving escalator spiritually and we move in that direction quicker, stronger, in fact, Jesus said, there are things that will not happen spiritually in your life without prayer and fasting. He said, this kind. He said, there are places in God you do not get without prayer and fasting. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said he came to give his life as a ransom for many. In America, here's what we, we typically think. We think, I believe in God. I believe in God. And that's good. And it's necessary. And it's right. But believing in God is not enough. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. I was brought up in a church. I knew about God. I believed in God but I had never received him. I remember 20 years old on a Sunday night, praying a prayer to receive Jesus. My life has never been the same. And I wanna pray that same prayer with you today. And your life will never be the same. You need to receive him as your Lord, your savior, as your sacrifice, as the payment for your sin.
So you say, I want to get right with God today. In just a minute, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. And we are going to pray together. And God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you are going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a child of God. He's going to make you new on the inside. You're going to be on your way to heaven. So here's what you need to know. If you're away from God, not right with God, I want you to listen carefully. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. All of your efforts will never make you right with God. All of my efforts will never make me right with God. Jesus said, he is the only way. And as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is this. You're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I know there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus. And today, I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven and to be saved. One, when you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I am turning my back on my old life. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. Two, now get ready. When you lift your hand, you're saying, today, by faith, Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it up. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Two hands over here, another hand here, another there, and another, and another, two more, two more, some more. Thank you. God bless you. Way in the back. God bless. Up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Others, thank you. God bless Right over here, two hands. Now, everyone, would you please stand? Now, if you lifted your hand, look right at me. Nobody else moving around, please. Now, if you lifted your hand, I want you to move to the aisle that's nearest you. Grab who's ever with you. Bring them down here. But make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to say amen in just a moment. When we say amen, your past, it is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. He's going to make you new on the inside. This literally is the most important decision that anyone can ever make. If you're in the balcony and you will make your way down, we'll wait for you. Come on down. This is your day. Awesome. 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 God bless. Jesus said, you confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Awesome. Now, Romans 10, verse 13. This is what it says. Whosoever, this is going to work. It's going to work for every single one of you. You know, the devil tries to tell people, you did too much, you've gone too far. It's a lie. It is a lie. Right? This will work for whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And then God gives us this promise. Will be saved. So when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be forgiven. He's going to make you new on the inside. You're going to be a part of God's family. All right. You ready? All right. Everybody, would you take one hand and place it over your heart? Lift your other hand towards heaven. That's where our help comes from. Just make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again.
And I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin, making me a new person on the inside, a part of your family. On my way to heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.